hey, I feel pretty strongly about what I'm going to share with you. I don't feel that strongly about the word missional, like it's kind of a tag word now. But for me, it represents a new something. All right. And um, what I'm what I'm going to share with you has been a major shift in the way that I preach in over the last 10 years. And um, for those of you who are younger preachers, man, it has made preparing a joy. Um, It's removed all of the stress of um, the need to entertain or um, uh, be spectacular in some way. Um, In some ways, those are things that I was told when I was younger, but just didn't believe it, you know, Larry? Maybe you were told that too, but... um, Okay, so what I want to do is uh, read a short sermon to you that I preached... um, a few years ago during Lent. And I don't use notes when I preach. I definitely don't read sermons, but if I were to try and re-preach the sermon, I'd take the whole 45 minutes. So if I can read just a, a just sort of a concise um, sermon to you, this is what I would call a missional sermon. And then I wanna back up and talk about, okay, what is a missional sermon with that sermon in mind? Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Remember this is, you know, this is during Lent, I don't remember what year. Oh, it's 2020. All right. Um, well, shoot. Forgot my Bible. <laughs> uh, lesson number one, don't forget your Bibles when you go to preach. Let me pull up the text real quick. This is going to be out of Matthew uh, 4. This was the um, lectionary text, I'm pretty sure of that year. There's nothing better than when I go read the scripture and I have to pull it up on my phone in front of me. Because I've forgotten to grab it. <laughs> um, let's start actually in Matthew chapter 3, towards the end of the chapter. All right. Um, here we go. This is the sermon from 2020. And when Jesus had been baptized, this is Matthew 3, 16, uh, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw God's spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Chapter four. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. 
For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. All right, Israel goes down into the sea and is immersed in the love of God. Israel comes up out of the sea, now sons and daughters of God, and is invited straight into the wilderness. This will become for them a time of training and formation and discovery and struggle. Jesus goes down into the waters. Jesus goes down into the waters meant for sinners. The waters meant for those who are bound into slavery. Jesus goes down into these waters because this is what God is like. God goes into those places meant for sinners and slaves. Jesus goes down into the waters and comes up out of the waters, just as Israel did. And a voice from the heavens makes this declaration over him. Now, this is my son. This isn't just an ordinary baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. These are the same words that will be spoken over Jesus on the Mount Transfiguration, if you remember, in his glory. Because when God is in the midst of the brokenness of humanity, in the baptismal waters, God is glorified. This is who God is and what God is like. This moment is the glory of God. When Jesus comes up out of the water, he too goes straight into the wilderness. Jesus has waited 30 something years to launch his ministry, to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God among his people and to lead them into the will of God, just as it is done in heaven. And his first post-baptismal act of business is to go straight into the wilderness. To go straight into the wilderness just as Israel did. Just as the Spirit leads Jesus, just as the Spirit leads Israel into the wilderness. Israel must journey to the land by way of the wilderness. They must learn faith and the will of the Father before they re-enter the world. So now Christ is separated from the world for a time so that he can re-enter the world with faith, with the will of his Father. This is a significant part of Lent, by the way, this wilderness wandering, this journey toward the cross, a time of self-reflection and openness to formation, to be shaped by God on our way to the cross. Um, I need to skip a little personal section with the church. Israel and Jesus go into the wilderness to be shaped for re-entry into the world. What Jesus is confronted with in that wilderness is the voice of the world. This is the irony of the text. It would be fair for us to read, I'm, I'm curious by the way, it's killing me to read this instead of preach it, but um, uh, for those of you who are older preachers in here, how you have preached that text before, Right? And like, what, what's our framework? Um, so it would be fair for us to read this passage and consider what temptation is like. And to sort of see Christ as the model of what it looks like for a follower of God to navigate temptations in life. It's a totally legitimate sermon. We could also read this text and dive into the specifics and agenda of each temptation on the part of the devil, 
and think through how they are different and how they might interact with what is going on in our world and the temptations we might be facing at the hands of the devil. Totally legitimate. Might get you an A minus in Sarah Barton's class. What we tend to do when we read a passage um, of scripture is to find our place within it. That's a good thing. We find our place within it. We read the story of Jesus healing the leper and we find our place within it. Either we're the leper and we feel the weight of our brokenness and sin. We feel the longing to be made clean. We, we feel a great need for some sort of healing. We find ourselves wondering if we are worthy of Jesus' attention. We revel in this passage because we feel Jesus touching us. Or we identify with Jesus, understanding that brokenness is everywhere and we long to participate with God in healing. We find our place in the story as leper or as healer. Only two, two characters in the story. Or if you're Larry Mudd, you act them both out. Now, we do this with texts. So we read today's text, the baptism and the wilderness wandering of Jesus, and we find our place in the story. We, we have a problem, though, finding our place in this story. We might make an assumption that there's only one choice, really. We might assume that since Jesus is essentially alone in the wilderness, then we must identify with Jesus. At least this is how most sermons on Matthew 4 have gone in my lifetime. Because, you know, we wouldn't want to it wouldn't cross our minds to identify with the devil. Let me suggest that perhaps this is how the story should be read. Jesus escapes from the world only to hear from the world. The tempter rises up as the advocate of humanity. The tempter says, on behalf of all of humanity, that which humanity will cry out over and over again in Jesus' life. The tempter asserts himself as the lawyer for humanity, claiming on our behalf. Now, this is what we all want from God. We want you to prove that you are God. We want you to prove that you are still God. And here's how we want you to do it. We want you to provide what we want when we want it. If you are God, dot, dot, dot. If you are still God, dot, dot, dot. If you're a good God, if you're a powerful God, these are the sorts of things you will do. You will, you will provide. You'll, you will prove your power at just the right time. You will align with our cause. I think we know what it's like to be that tempter meeting Jesus in the wilderness. I think we know what it's like to make decisions about who God is and what God is like based on what God has done for us lately. Israel has come up out of the baptismal waters and is journeying through the wilderness. Israel's first cry, Israel's first threat First accusation toward God and God's power and God's goodness is a cry for bread, right? 
Israel cries out, if you are God, give us bread. Hmm. I actually have hmm written in the notes there. <laughs> if you are God. During Lent, we join Israel, making our way into the wilderness, waiting for an Easter. But who are we in the wilderness? Are we, are we like Jesus, who also made his way into the wilderness, or are we the tempter? Midway through Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Jesus announces that he is on the way to the cross. And Peter speaks up. And Peter cries out. Peter makes threats. This is certainly not what you will do. Translation, this is not what God does. Suffer. And Jesus' response to Peter lets us know where we most likely stand in the story. Get behind me, Satan. The devil is just the advocate for humanity, demanding of God what humanity demands of God. And what humanity demands of God is everything except the cross. Humanity does not naturally think in cruciform ways. Humanity is not attracted to cruciformity. Humanity does not see purpose and victory and self-giving love. Humanity wants everything from God except a cross. So now, during this season of Lent, we rise up out of the waters of redemption. We receive blessed words spoken over us by Father, Son, and Spirit, and we head out into the wilderness. That's what Lent is. We escape our world for a season so that we may re-enter. And in the wilderness, we stare down our capacity to be God's tempter. In the wilderness, we learn faith. We silence that impulse to threaten God, to demand from God, to tempt God, to take another path. In the wilderness, we trust God when God says, anyone who would be my disciple must take up her cross and follow me. In the wilderness, we come to terms with this truth. We can accept only the cross from God. Expect only the cross from God. This will require great faith, a faith learned in the wilderness. In the wilderness, that place where provision can only come from God, we receive the care of angels as we are formed and shaped by the journey ahead. Almost done. Oftentimes, we speak about great faith in terms of mustering up the ability to be, believe God can and will do fantastical things before our very eyes. Perhaps the great kind of faith learned in the wilderness is the faith to stop tempting God and to learn to be, to be silent in God's silence, to be content with no bread for a while, to believe in the power of God when there has been no display in ages to trust, trust God's agenda above our own, to make room with ourselves, within ourselves for the cruciform way. All right, that's a um, sermon that I preached that didn't sound anything like that when I preached it, but um, that is the Lent sermon from 2020 at Campus Church. And so I'm claiming that that's a missional sermon. Um, not... Uh, let's, let's walk through um, why that might be a missional sermon. I'll be curious what you heard. It's kind of hard to hear a sermon read, I think, personally. Like it, took, it just was hard for me to even read it without stopping and it, like, emphasizing things more. You know? But um, uh, let's talk through, um, in my mind, what makes a sermon a missional sermon. 
and we're going to come back to that text and talk about what isn't how you could preach that text in a non-missional way. All right. And uh, what I'm not talking about is the 100 things you could do with the text. Right. Like I, I for a lot of years early, I don't know if some of you older preachers felt this way. Like I labored over sermons, afraid I was going to get the text wrong. Right. And, and, you know, I just don't believe that anymore. Like, I think my friend Larry could get up and preach that text and just go a completely different direction with it. And that, that's, that's the living word. That's how, that's how scripture is so fantastical. I don't know if that's a real word. It was in my sermon, but, um, okay. Let's talk about missional for a second. And then we'll, then we'll talk about sermons. Okay. Um, all right. So, missional paradigms none of them are perfect but here's a missional paradigm that god and the church it you know sort of had this cooperative existence together and the world is over there the world is out there when we talk about engaging with the world we use the word outreach you know i did um mark loves missional masters and anytime anyone said outreach, you had to put a dollar in the swear jar, you know. And that's this kind of, the world is out there and we're over here with God. And, and in some ways, there's little hope for the fallen world. This is, by the way, not the paradigm I grew up in. But this is the paradigm for some, some people and some churches. By the way, I will give out my email and send all these slides to you if you, if you want. So you don't have to take pictures or whatever. But um, uh, okay, here's the paradigm I grew up in. You've got God over here and the world over there, and Christ is the conduit between both, and then the church is the body of Christ. And, and by the way, that, you know, this isn't completely wrong. Like, there's plenty of texts you can point to. I mean, the, te the text that I grew up on was, here am I, send me, right? Here am I, send me out into the world as your, let me be your hands and feet, right? There's some beauty to that, some faithfulness and, and some reality at times, but there's a real brokenness to that that is, was, a, is, I don't know where that's born from, but it's an assumption about um, who is where, right? That, I mean, what's the brokenness of this, this paradigm? It's, just look at it. What's the brokenness of that paradigm? God isn't in the world. God is not in the world. Right? If, you, if, you're, if you're in the world, sorry. God cannot be in you. You know? And, 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 and so the church is the hero. Right? And we've got everything. And the world's got nothing. And uh, we, are, we are the scent. Right? Uh, anybody else grow up in that paradigm of engagement with the world. It's not all bad, right? I mean, my mom and dad uh, became Christians when I was a little boy in this paradigm, no, you know? We're not in the world. Like, we're separate. We got, a, we got just a little sliver there, right? Yeah, that's, that, you're right. Like, we got um, mostly separated, but... Yes, and that's especially in that first paradigm. But in this one, uh, just, I'm glad you said that because, what's your name? Amy. Amy. Amy Henniger? Yeah. Uh, you're famous. All right. Um, <laughs> in, in, in um, this paradigm, see that, see that little sliver there? 
that's the church being weirdos, right? Like we go out and we, should, we don't know how to be because we, I told him, Mark, that outreach was the like swear word in the program that we did. We go out uh, to places where we don't belong and we don't know how to be and we don't know how to act. My early prayer life as a child, the place, the, the place that I prayed the most was during door knocking, right? Lord, please don't let them be home. That was my prayer, right? Because we were going out to be weirdos. We were going to places where we didn't belong. Like this, wasn't, this wasn't our natural engagement with the world in which we live, right? We, we, we would go to the, in youth group, go to the park and do something. and Everybody spread out and invite a total stranger to come join. I'm not saying that doesn't ever work, but it's weird, right? And it's weird because our paradigm is like, it's messed up. But the bigger problem here is the location of God in relationship to the world, right? Well, I don't know if there's a perfect paradigm. This isn't the paradigm I learned in the program, Mark. I can't remember the name of the professor that taught us the, he, he had a wonderful paradigm, but it was a little broken too. I like this one better. The church is in the world and the church and the world are in God. There's no place, <laughs> there's no place in which God not only doesn't exist, but isn't already working. God is a redemptive God. God, as Wade said last night, God is always love. Always. God is love. God isn't not just loving, but God is love. And um, so the church is in this space in which we are, we are in the world, but uniquely positioned we're an outpost of the kingdom of god in the way god is up to something in the world the church is uniquely privileged to participate with god participate is the word we say over and over and over and over again at campus church we're we're we, want, we just want to participate we're not um uh devaluing ourselves like all, i grew up in all shucksism you know, God is everything and we're nothing. And we're just, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, here showing up. We don't, we got nothing to offer. No, no, we're, we're uniquely positioned or privileged, invited to participate. We're not necessary. God is at work in the world, but we, we are full participants in what God is doing in the world, right? right. Uh, Mark knows that's a hard one for me. The, the move away from Ashuxism is so deeply embedded in my in my thinking. There, there was some good stuff that came along with all. It was what? OP theology. And there was some good stuff with that. It's just good and bad, you know. But all right. So these are the driving questions we ask all the time at campus. This is uh, for a season. These were the questions we asked on the way to the communion table every Sunday. Please. Just put an arm around someone on your way to the table, ask these questions. And you're free to say, I don't know. You know, what is God up to in the world? How, how may we participate with God? There might be better ways of saying that, but we're trying to lean into um, a, a paradigm shift in the way we think about um, our engagement, what it looks like for campus church to engage with God and with our world, with our neighborhood and with our world. 
All right, so this is my claim. These are some tenets of missional preaching. I, I'm, let me give you a little aw-shucksism. No idea what I'm talking about. Just making this stuff up, but here's what I got, all right? Missional preaching avoids dualistic treatment of evangelism and fellowship. So um, we, uh, somewhere along the way, we, we never use the word evangelism at campus because it's just, it's just so loaded, you know? But somewhere along the way, um, fellowship and evangelism got a divorce, right? And, and the church is the children of fellowship and evangelism. And we went to live with mom, fellowship. But we visit dad on weekends and holidays sometimes, and it's always uncomfortable and weird, right? And uh, don't know why they got divorced. Don't know why we saw them as separate things, except for that bad word, outreach. It's something outside of us that we do. Instead of just, it's a part of the life of the church. Our our missional impulse is a part of um, our fellowship and our, our, our connectivity to one another and to the world. So missional preaching, it tries to avoid that kind of dualistic thinking about engaging with the world and what the life of the church looks like. Does that make sense? Um, it avoids calling the church to be the hero. It's not that the church doesn't at times do heroic things and faithful things, but it's God who is at work. The church are participants. Rather than calling the disciples into a mission field, it should generate excitement about what God is already doing all around them. Um, yeah, that's self-explanatory. Places emphasis on Jesus' habit to be the guest at the table. That, that, that might sound like, you know, how's that fit in there? But, but when we try, it's, it's hard. It's just hard to shift for me. I grew up, it, like I grew up at the Tulsa workshop. The Tulsa workshop was the evangelistic event. And it, it was so different than this language that we're using now where, but what if, what if today I'm not the hero and I'm barely the participant. I am the guest at the table. I'm the one in need. I, I need my neighbor to bless me, right? And, 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 and in that relationship, together we might find God. Right, and we're both gonna both gonna bless one another. Um, so we do all kinds of stuff in our neighborhoods, and it's it's been a long road of shifting that mentality toward let's be a blessing and be blessed. Right, um, our younger people love that language. By the way, they don't like hero language at all. They're they're allergic to it. Um, anchors the gospel in Trinitarian understanding of God's nature and God's engagement in the world. We use this imagery all the time that the, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit so full of love open, God opens God's self to the world and we are welcome at the table of the Lord, right? All, all of us. Uh, we we pra definitely practice an open table at, at campus church, but a daily open table, right, in which we might be the guest. Okay, so this is, um, this is my kind of preaching paradigm now. Uh, now we're getting back, back to preaching, what drives my prep for sermons. I've, I'm trying to invite the church to experience God 
um, through experiencing scripture. Uh, because in our new paradigm, God is fully present, right? We're not going somewhere to experience God. We're not performing for God. God is fully present in this space. God is at work and we want to experience God. And on a Sunday morning in a sermon, we, we're primarily, this is just the sermon space, not the rest of the embodied worship. We're experiencing God through the experience of scripture. So the experience of scripture is not necessarily quoting a lot of scriptures, right? Uh, you can quote a lot of scriptures and totally not experience scripture or experience God, either one, right? Um, okay, so I got this little thingamajig here that I, when I write a sermon, now I think through the sermon, where, where does my sermon fall? And it doesn't always fall in the right place, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to, I mean, I've written sermons and not considered God. You know, like I'm capable of a lot of things, a lot of bad things in writing sermons. Um, but what, I, what I'm wanting to do is live in that quadrant up there, high God experience, high scripture experience. So I want to talk through that, went through the lens of the sermon that I just read to you out of Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew 4. I'm claiming that the sermon that I read to you is very high God experience, high scripture experience. All right, so here's what I mean by high God experience. Trinitarian preaching, imagining God as an invitational community, right? Um, I don't know how to say it besides Father, Son, and Spirit. I, I try, I, who was the, who's your, I can never remember her name, professor in the program. At, Naomi. I said, Naomi, what's, what's the other name for Father? So it's not all male-driven. Creator, Jesus is creator too. I mean, I've kind of gone with shepherd, Christ, and spirit, but shepherd feels male too. I don't, anyway, okay, creator, creator, Christ, and spirit. What, what, there's community uh, uh, centered around a table, right? That's high God experience, the community of God. God is community, and therefore humanity, we are communal beings invited into that community. We, we, we do, um, is it Ruslov, Ruslov's painting often of the, the Trinity at the table with the, the possibly the mirror there inviting the humanity to join. Invitation to participate. We use that word all the time, participating with God. Always entertaining these two missional questions. What is God up to and how, may, how, how have we been invited to participate? Driven by the person, character, and work of God not by a text, but I don't, I don't believe that I'm called to preach scripture. I believe that I'm called to preach God and scripture serves that. And that, that's a shift for me for sure. Um, so we love not because the text tells us to, but because God is love and the text points us to this reality. That shift alone, I, I don't know what younger preachers are like, but that shift alone has been a, a, an enormous change for me. It's shifted me to, like, now I'm wanting to discern God all week, not just exegete a text. I, mean, I want to exegete a text too. I want to be faithful to the text, but I want to discern God and God's voice in my people. What's God saying all week through my, that, I'm exegeting my church and exegeting my community too. What, what is God saying? What is God up to? I'm driven by the person and character of God, not just by 
you know, command in text, right? Make sense? All right, this is the harder one for me. Um, high scripture experience. I want, I want my church to experience God. I want to experience God together. I want us also to experience scripture. Um, preaching scripture as a command, uh, preaching scripture as a command, a communal experience, the history of humanity's journey with the God of love. If, if you think back to the sermon that I read to you a moment ago, we experienced the community within scripture. We join Israel at the sea. We join Jesus in the wilderness. We're full participants in both, right? For whatever reason, I very often begin a sermon at campus at the sea. This is just a, like an anchor point for us. And we join Israel there. We're joining our brothers and sisters, the, the, the cloud of witnesses, right? And they are our community in which we're invited to experience. They're, they're not just a text that has Hebrew words that we sift and diagram and therefore come up with three um, to-dos at the end of a sermon, right? No, no, we're, we're, we're um, you know, I used to always begin sermons with a great, cute story. I never do anymore. In fact, I rarely use an illustration. Thank you, Mark. But I do sometimes when it comes up naturally, but I most always am inviting the church to join the community of Scripture. And the, by the way, I just have found that the church actually loves that. They don't need my cute stories. They can read, you know, um, what is the soup for the soul or whatever, the chicken soup for the soul. And they can read that while they're sitting on the toilet. They don't need me to recount those stories for them. Imagining the text as an active participant in the historical work of God and in the present work of God. Again, joining the community. This is a community. And this is the, the work of God that is ongoing. It's like we are at the sea again today. Right? Um, preaching scripture as an invitation into participation with God. God rather than scripture is the end to which the sermon is pointed. Right? I want, you know, I want us to experience God and experience God through experiencing scripture. I don't care. I know that my, my church, we still have enough Church of Christers left that, that they, some of them measure a good sermon based on whether you told them something about the text that they never heard before. Like that's, that is the identity of a good sermon, right? I, I didn't know that the rainbow was also a bow that you're pointing toward. I mean, just nonsense, you know? Like you've seen how that, that morphs into, you know, now Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is sperm, right? Like you read that article, anybody? It's ridiculousness. But it's, it's, it's more out of that like desire to um, like preach text and be... Um, uh, creative and entrepreneurial with the text instead of um, preaching God. Okay, are you with me? So, Mark? Yeah, one, uh, one way I've been making a distinction between um, experiencing the text and uh, teaching a text is like the Van Gogh exhibit 
that's going around now where everywhere you step, it's all around you. It's floor to ceiling. It's, you're inside of it. Whereas you could go to a museum and there's a Van Gogh on the wall and you point to it, it's at a distance from you. Yeah. And I think that's what I would call the Van Gogh experience. I would call the high scripture experience that texts want to perform and um, to pull people, not just to point at it, explain it, but pull people into its performance. Yeah. Is how I would. That's a great example. Maybe add to that. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, yeah, so the sermon I just read a moment ago, I don't think that you can ever, I don't think you can get to, we participate as the tempter to Jesus, unless you're experiencing the text, unless you're fully within it. Like, I just don't think you can, you just got to come up with the same, you know, you, you now, Jesus used scriptures to defend himself against the devil. Now you use scriptures to, you know. I don't, I don't think you can get to this space in which we are participating with Israel going down into the sea and into the wilderness. And we're participating with Jesus going into the wilderness. And holy crap, we're the tempter. You know, I just don't think you get there unless you're... Uh, the first times I started to experience this was Jackie um, Halstead taught... Um, a little group of us, um, a way of, it, uh, um, it was called um, textual imaging, right? Where you enter into the text and walk around in it, you know? And I just never experienced, she was teaching it to us as a form of prayer. I just talk to God while you're walking around in that text, you know? And I just never, wait, what? I don't, I'm not sure you can do that, you know? You might get the text wrong. Right? No, no, you actually might get the text right if you walk around in it a little bit. Okay. Five minutes, is that right? All right, so, um, here, so here's what I'm saying happens to churches when you have high God experience, high scripture experience, unity happens. Because now we're not just talking about what we believe. Unity doesn't happen when you talk about what you believe, you know, because none of us believe the same thing. And it doesn't, happen when you just strictly exegete the text because nobody agrees about the text but it happens when we experience together you want to get a group of people to become more unified go on a trip with them right get in a bus together and, and you can talk about what you believe in the bus it doesn't matter it's the trip it's going on a trip together and, and and remembering who had gas in the van on the way back you know and 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 all of the experiences we we experience together the congregation is invited to join both the community of God and the community of faith, past and present and future, as uh, in participation with God and mission. Now, we're, we're not only unified with each other, we're unified with, you know, the wilderness wanderers and with Peter and with Mary and with you, you know. Okay, um, high, example of high scripture experience, low God experience, same text. Just as Israel entered the water, so Jesus does, so Jesus' disciples enter the water. God spoke blessing over Jesus one day. Uh, one day when this world's over, you will hear the blessing of God spoken over you if you have been faithful in the wilderness. Israel's faith in the wilderness led to God's blessing in the promised land. 
you one day will hear the blessing of God if you are able to, just as Israel did, just as Jesus did, resist the temptation of the wilderness. So be strong, be like Jesus. Don't be fooled by the whispers of the enemy. There's, there's this kind of little bit of scriptural experience, but no expectation of the presence of God at all, right? The, the expectation of the presence of God is where? Someday in the future, right? That, now that's, that's when we you know, expect for God to now show up and fully participate with us. We join the community of scripture and we're all kind of working it out and one day we'll you know, experience God. And this leads to legalism. Right. The, the congregation has received a high invitation to experience the scriptures with little to no expectation of God's presence or involvement. Uh, so we got to you know, work it out in the humanity. Like, what do we do? We just make some rules and some, some build some hedges. Um, this creates guilt ridden, hopeless, unsafe, cynical disciples. Right. Okay, I'm kind of flying through this, but I'll send these to you if you want them. Um, low scripture, low God experience. I've heard a lot of those sermons, right? Um, the text says Jesus was baptized. You should be baptized. Text says Jesus refuted the devil's scheme with the scripture. You too should refute the devil's scheme with the scripture. Insert wonderful story. Insert joke. Insert poem. What, whatever. I mean, it can sound like it can be, sound like a good sermon. Um, the text says Jesus was tempted in these three ways. You should be alert for these same kinds of temptations. Good luck out there, right? No, no, um, this is very isolated um, preaching, right? This leads to hypocrisy since the congregation receives both God and scripture as objects to be studied rather than community to join. Its language and state of beliefs often do not match its lived experience. You can't live up to it and you become blinded to how so far away from the life of the community of God you have found yourself, right? You, you, you are you become hypocrites. This leads to judgmental, lonely, majoring in minors. Sound familiar to anybody? Uh, unaware of personal and communal failure. Somehow you preach all of that text about what, what Jesus did and what you should do. And you're the meanest church around. You know? People come in. They're not safe at all. Like, how could that be possible? You wonder, right? Like, how could this be possible? How could, how could people post such things on Facebook. This is how. They're completely isolated um, from God and from the community of Scripture. All right, last one. Um, oh, wait. All right, so this is, yeah, last one. High God experience, low Scripture experience. There's a cosmic battle for your soul being waged this very day. God told me what the devil is up to in our world and in your life, devil, the devil wants you to stand by silently while babies are aborted. The devil wants you to stand by silently while homosexuals are married. But I'm not making a statement about any of these things. I'm just saying this is the kind of sermon. You have been given a spirit, not of timidity, but of bravery. Now join God and his armies as we fight the devil's scheme. There's a lot of like claim of like um, expectation of God in the moment. I mean, the sermon is driven by what God has actually told me to tell you, but there's not a, a very rich participation in the community of scripture, right? Um, so I, my claim is this leads to sort of a cultish kind of uh, community. Since the congregation is invited to expect interaction with the divine, but has not been anchored or tethered to the community of faith within scripture, it's prone to wander. 
I almost got that tattoo, by the way. I love that hymn, Prone to Wander. I'm still thinking about getting it. I have the, like one of the lines from that hymn here. But um, Okay, so these disciples are sincere, often individualistic and disillusioned, unstable and ineffective, right? Like just not anchored, not anchored. All right, so that, that, that is for me, uh, my time is up, but that is at least like, that's where my preaching is headed. This kind of missional, what I call missional preaching, a high engagement with an expectation to experience God in that space and experience the community within scripture. I want to get God right on Sunday morning, right? And invite myself and all of us into an experience with God. And I want to, I want to be invited into an experience with Mary as well in that space and Mary's experience with God. And, and, and what I have found is I love writing sermons now. Love it. I feel zero stress. I feel zero stress each week. I mean, almost zero. There might be some like where the text is like, I don't know what to do with this, but, but I love writing sermons because God is present in the world and, and in us, God is at work and, and God is present in the scriptures and the community of the scriptures inviting me to participate with them. And what I feel like, oh, I feel like my preaching is awesome now. I don't, nobody else has said that, but I feel like it is, you know, um, because it's now, I feel like it's profound. It's not cute. It's not very entertaining necessarily. It's, it's fully invitation, invitational. Okay, hey, let me, um, if you want to write down my email, I'll give it to you if you want those slides. I'll be glad to send them to you. My email is dusty, D-U-S-T-Y, at campuschurch.com. Another little plug. Most of what I just said was either affirmed or born out of my experience with Mark Love at Rochester College. The missional master's there. We have sent another one of our members through it. Next year, one of our staff people is going, th- one of our uh, pastors is going through it. I wanted to do it for, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years. Mark would ask me every year. It's phenomenal. So I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I don't care if you're young or old. Hmm? What did you, where did you say it was? It's, a, it's the missional masters at Rochester. The, the director is right behind you, Mark Love. I'm sure he'd be glad to talk to you about it. It's affordable. It's cohort-oriented. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's not a very, um, it's not solely a Church of Christ experience at all. I think maybe there was one other Church of Christ during my cohort. It's a, it was a broad, very um, um, diverse cohort. It's, it's wonderful. Amy, did you do that program too? No, no but most of my friends did. Yeah, it's wonderful. All right. Did you say your uh, email address? Was oh, com it, it's or? not .com, it's .org. So glad you said that. All right, thanks for coming to my class.